Hey, everybody. We're in the midst of a few months of focusing on movement skills for climbers. But honestly, I'm not happy with just putting more info out there. So we're making an effort to not only collect the dots, but to connect the dots. And the main place I'm doing that is in our monthly newsletter, The Current. Once a month in your inbox, you'll get not a sales email, but my recent light bulb moments or interrogations of how we've always done things and what we could maybe be doing better. You'll also get the dots connected for you between all of the podcast episodes, blog posts, YouTube videos, and more so that together we can learn, grow, and excel. The link is right there in your show notes. Thanks for the support. Maybe don't know. Maybe don't. This time, this time, this time, this What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Chris Hampton. Welcome to episode 171 of the Power Company podcast brought to you by PowerCompanyClimbing.com. Is that right? 171 episodes sounds like a lot. And when I first looked at that number, I was like, no way, that's not possible. We're less than 30 away from 200. But it, in fact, is. And I was just having a conversation uh, a couple of days ago via text with my friend Bethany from Brown Girls Climb. And and something she said reminded me, uh, helped it occur to me, that one of the reasons I have access to interviews like the one that you're going to be listening to today is because people like Shelma, people like Bethany and Seisha and Montserrat took took a chance at talking to this random white dude who used to be a rapper and has made egregious public mistakes in the past, but really has a curiosity for how we can make this community a better place because I believe that being a better climber means you also need to be a better human. And being a better human doesn't mean being nice. It means being better. So thank you to Shelma, to Brown Girls Climb, to everyone who's been willing to listen to these tough conversations. I stumble through these things all the time. And that's one of the greatest joys of of this job of, of having this podcast is that I get to have these conversations with amazing people. And today's guest is, is no exception to that. Um, I just had the chance a couple of days ago to drive over to 10 sleep and sit down and have a conversation with Genevieve Walker. Um, Genevieve is a mostly sport climber. Um, Though we're going to get her bouldering, you just wait and see. Um, and it was, she's been outspoken during this Black Lives Matter um, accelerated movement. Um, and 
and I've really been interested in her approach and in talking to her because she's being very unapologetic. And, and I think that's very needed right now. So during this conversation, we're sitting outside, we're relatively close to the road. You'll hear some car noise. And, and as I do in many of these conversations, I invited the people sitting around to, to join in if they had something to say, because I, I don't, you know, I'm stumbling through this. This is a bigger conversation than me. Um, so I love having that extra input. So you'll hear from Genevieve's fiance, D. Scott Clark, who is also white and is processing all of this in the same place that we are. Um, so I do think that makes for an interesting part of the conversation. You'll also hear from my wife, Annalisa. So I rambled long enough. Let's get into it. Like I want to see people really caring to make a change. I want I want there to be an actual change, not on the surface. I don't want a surface change. I want it from within. I think everybody just has to really like be open to listen to us. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm putting that out as its own separate thing. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> but I so yesterday I was I think it was yesterday. It might have been the day before. Day before, I posted a, a photo on my Instagram of me wearing a sweatshirt from Crag to Crux that says "Fuck racism, be a good fucking human." And I got one DM from it, from a friend of mine whose opinion I respect. And, and their question to me was, how do you feel about the second line on that shirt? It says, be a good fucking human. To me, that feels like you're saying all lives matter or you're telling people to be nice. And I was like, no, I don't see it that way at all. I, I don't equate good with nice. And I think it takes both kinds. I think it takes people being very militant, radical, angry, and it takes people saying, let's look at it this other way. And there's a ton of like policing of words and actions going on on social media right now and when i when i first reached out to you your response was this like this giant message of here's what i think here's what i believe and i and i was like oh this is awesome she's fired up and part of what you said was that's why there was an mlk and a malcolm x and that's why we needed them both. And I've always been of that thought process. So can we talk about that a little bit and, and why that was so on your mind when this whole movement really started picking up momentum? At least in the white community, it picked up momentum. It, it had momentum already in places where I wasn't seeing it. Mm -hmm. So why was that at the front of your mind? I think it's just been hard for me because I'm biracial. My dad's mm -hmm. black and my mom is white. And 
even though I'm on the lighter side, I've still dealt with a lot of crap my entire life. And I thought maybe getting when I got into the climbing community, like maybe things would be a little bit different and it seemed to mm. never really change. Um, and I've always been told from my dad, I've always been taught um, to be nice to everybody, no matter what. If somebody's mean to you, just like turn the other cheek and smile right. and, and don't ex escalate the situation. Um, so I've always tried to be that person and it's been hard. <laughs> yeah. It's really hard for me because I just, I can hold things in for so long, but then it comes to a point where I just explode. Um, and I've been that way my entire life. And I feel like when I got into climbing, um, it's always really been hard for me to just kind of be myself because just like little comments that friends would say that they weren't trying to intentionally hurt me. They just thought it was like a funny thing to say. And I've always just been really good about brushing it off. I've never felt comfortable being vulnerable and speaking my mind before because I felt like I really never had like a supportive group behind me in a way or friends who were in the similar situations as i were in right um so i think this year with everything kind of like blowing up and getting big and meeting more people who are sharing the similar experiences to me i feel like i'm just i finally have the support and backing to speak my mind and i'm angry I'm really freaking angry and yeah. it's hard when people tell me to just calm down and I need to like, you know, go a different direction with my words. But like, this is me. Like I'm just being my real self right now. And my real self is super pissed off. <laughs> Have you talked to your dad about it? I try and it's hard because like he, besides Scott, my fiance, my dad is like my number one man in my life. Um, right. I never appreciated him, appreciated him much when I was younger, like all the things he's done. Um, and like the older I get, the more I talk to him and he'll start to like tell me little stories mm. here and there about like things that he's been through. And it really hurts because he's a great guy and he does so much for my family and he tries to do so much for my community back at home. And it hurts when I see people still treat him like crap. Sure. Um, so I do try to talk to him mm. about things, but he was never really a, a big talker. He talks a lot, but <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to like Just personal, go deep. Yeah. yeah. So, and I understand. He jokes a lot. And I think that's almost like a defense thing for him is just sure. smiling and laughing and making a joke out of everything. But I do feel like there's a lot of pain behind it as well. And it hurts. Yeah. It you know, really I had hurts. this conversation a few days ago with my friend Justin Forrest Parks, who lives in Lander. And, and we were talking about growing up. And when I was in junior high, I got really into Public Enemy and this rapper named Paris. And I used the word radical, that they were, they were radical, radically militant. And then it occurred to me that the things that Chuck D was saying back then, that Paris was saying back then, aren't really considered radical now. They were radical for the time, but now it's more like, it feels like it should just be common sense that this, this should be this way, mm -hmm. you know? And your dad grew up in a time where he was conditioned, everyone was conditioned to fight with love, you know? And, and this idea that love means being nice and, and being radical doesn't work, you know? So 
so I'm sure it's scary for him to watch you start to speak up. Yeah, it is. And he's talked to me a few times about the things I've said because he wants me to succeed. He wants to see all of his children be successful in life. Um, And he's kind of ingrained that from me, like from the beginning when I like took my first job interview about like, oh, make sure you straighten your hair before your job interview because you want to make sure that you're being accepted. And like all those things I knew came from a good place. Um, And it started getting ingrained in me when I was younger. Um, And still, I'm still like fighting with that personally. But I try to tell him that like, yeah, things are different now. We are allowed to speak up. And even if people don't want to hear it, like, sorry, they need to hear it. Yeah. Um, and it's just a, it's a, it's a hard battle. You wear your hair. Yeah. The hair thing is a whole, <laughs> whole issue. <laughs> well, I think we've, we've all got a lot of that built in, right? These, these things we've been conditioned to believe uh, about ourselves, about our culture, about other people. Um, and it's really hard to unlearn those things. Yeah, it, it really is. I mean, I'm still dealing with it now. Like Scott has to deal with it all the time. Like He's like, I never see your hair. And I'm like, my excuse is that living in a van. It's really My ha- hair is really hard to manage. I can't just like wake up and go. My hair is really hard to manage, too. <laughs> you understand. <laughs> you know? But yeah, I just can't like wake up in the morning and go. Like My hair yeah. has its own mind of its own. So I have to like wake up. I have to wet it somehow, like hop in the shower or something. And, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of stuff I need to do just to put it up in a bun. Or I was telling him... Um, I like to climb trout a lot. I can't just like halfway through the day be like, yeah, I'm going to go climb a couple pitches and put a helmet on. Like once my hair is up in a bun, like it does not want to go down. (laughs) Sure. So it's just like there's a a lot of processes involved in it. And um, that is an excuse. My other excuse is like I just never felt comfortable Mm -hmm. wearing my hair if it wasn't straight. Um, And that's always been like a huge issue for me. And even though I'm 31 now, it's still like a huge thing I'm trying to accept (laughs) I guess do you find yourself taking like specific steps to get uncomfortable and embrace it yeah and what what do those look like it's so since climbing is like such a big part of my life like all my friends are climbers I'm always out at the crag or somewhere climbing related it's hard because it's such a big part of my life, but it's the one spot I don't really feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. Like I should be able to just like wear my natural hair at the crag or whatever. And I don't, I really, really don't. Um, sometimes I have a, a head wrap that I wear. Sometimes I'll try to like wear it out, but like I'll put it, I'll wear it in the car. And then when I like go to the store, I'll like take it off. It's, it's really hard. And that's one thing I've been trying to work on. Um, but we recently took a trip to Cuba um, and that was like a huge turning point for me personally, mm-hmm. cause everybody there was like wearing their headscarves and being darker was beautiful right. and I've never been around something like that. So everybody always asks me like how the trip was. And I said, the climbing's great, but that's kind of on the back burner for me when it comes to everything else. It was the one place that like, I actually walked the streets with my head wrap and I mm. didn't, I felt so comfortable and it was just an opportunity and experience that I, I've never experienced before. Yeah. I would, I just want more of that. I want more of that. And I want it more in the climbing community because this is my home. Like this is where I, 
Yeah, and that's, I mean, I think that's the perfect case for like representation in, in media, in advertising, in all of these things. You know, it's, it's really easy to look at these kind of conversations or arguments and say, well, but climbing, like the media of climbing sort of already does represent the, the population of climbers. You know, it's, it's easy to say that because we mostly see white people, but that, that perpetuates this, this exclusivity that it has, because like you're saying, you don't feel comfortable wearing your hair naturally because you don't see it. Yeah. And going back to the whole, like being like lighter on the spectrum, that's another thing that I'm also like trying to deal with personally right Mm -hmm. now is like, am I black enough to speak up, you know, or am I white enough to really like almost make a difference with my white friends Mm. in the community? Like I'm just kind of like on this line, I'm trying to navigate like where I fit in. People keep asking me every day, like, Oh, how are you doing? Like, how are things? And I'm like, I, I don't know. It's a constant search for where I fit in, in all of this, you know, cause you know, I, I don't like, I'm not a professional climber. I'm, I don't own an organization. I don't have like any crazy special skill to, I feel like really make a difference. All I know is I'm just a climber who loves to climb and I've been part of this community for seven years now, but never really felt part of it. And mm-hmm. I'm trying to make that happen. And I know I have, there's other people out there who are feeling the same exact way. And I just feel like this is the time to, for me to speak up. Like, I think what I can do right now is just use my voice. So that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you are. Yeah. Um, you said right when we started talking that you got into climbing and you thought it was going to be different. Like the, the you wanted to fit in somewhere and you thought climbing would be different. Why did you think it would be different? I don't, I think because when I first got into it, it was, I was like making a whole new set of friends and it was almost like a new page in my life. Mm. Um, And I mean, I've always been used to just kind of being like one of like two or three black people in my class or like one or one of two black families in my neighborhood. And I don't know why I thought it'd be different with climbing <laughs> and, it, and it wasn't. Right. Um, but I was also already used to it. So it didn't really I tried not to let it bother me. I guess maybe it didn't on the outside bother me as much. But I was also older. I was getting older. I was out of school. I was out of college. I was around more adults. I just thought maybe like things would be different. Yeah. It's it's interesting. I, I've just sort of always thought of climbing as different. I think a lot of us have. And there have been several times when I felt defensive of climbing, you know, probably the first time I really noticed it was, um, I don't know, five or six, five years ago or so when the feminism conversation really started becoming a part of, you know, our, our daily talk. Um, and at first I wanted to be really defensive. Like, does that really happen in climbing? Like, I haven't seen it. But then I'm like, 
maybe I have seen it. Maybe I'm not paying attention enough or maybe I'm complicit in it myself. And I had this conversation with Shelma Jun about it. And it's absolutely a thing, you know? Yeah, and for me, like I said, I've always been really used to just kind of turning the other cheek. Right. So for me, when people ask me, like, what are your experiences within the community, the climbing community, I had to, like, sit back and, like, really think. Because a lot of the experiences I've had, like, when I first started climbing and things like that, I've just kind of, like pushed into another part of my mind like I don't really think I try not to think about it anymore um but I'm trying to make that change I'm trying to not just let things go I guess in a way yeah anymore because I feel like we need to speak up otherwise Mm -hmm. things aren't going to change and I think I'm also realizing that with some people you need kind of like a bigger movement like this maybe one person's voice isn't kind of make their open their eyes sometimes you need like a bigger group yeah. to really like have somebody understand and i'm realizing that um but it's also a process that i'm still dealing with because i have so many friends like I, i've traveled for the last couple of years i've met so many people who i thought were great friends of mine and then when i would you know post something online their comments were just like mind boggling to me. Like I was like, what you, I thought we were friends. I thought you would at least understand where I'm coming from. Um, and like, I thought at least now when I'm telling you, you know, my experiences and my views on these things, like that you maybe understand. And I'm realizing that maybe it's not, maybe it's not me. Like maybe they just need a different avenue. I I think like something that both of you said, something that's, really hard for people to understand is that your experience is not everybody's experience yeah and it for some reason is really hard for people and it was in the past for me to wrap my head around that even though i've not seen the racism even i've if i've not seen the sexism that it still happens yeah like there's no reason to not believe it just because it didn't happen to me or i haven't explicitly seen it and then to your point on the uh the group movement is that I think that people see one person have an experience and be like, oh, that's just a one-time thing. Like the one person talking about it, like my one person experience is equal or greater than your one person experience. Right, right. And when there's yeah. a huge movement, they're like, oh shit, <clears throat> like maybe I need to, there are things happening that I'm not seeing. Yeah. yeah. One of the things I think is really important about that kind of movement is, you know, pretty much exactly what you're saying, Scott, that people start to open their eyes and their ears and, and be accepting of the fact that there are other experiences out there. And a couple of weeks ago, Genevieve, you and I have a mutual friend. I don't know if, I don't know if you would use the word friend or not. Um, he's a friend of mine and I commented on a Facebook post of his not realizing that you were on in the conversation as well. Um, just about white privilege, him saying, All right, this is what I think white privilege is and sort of saying I've had a, I haven't gotten a lot of opportunities, so I'm not privileged, you know, it's sort of read that way. Mm-hmm. And I hear that a lot. Um, and once I saw you respond to it, I went back and read the whole thread and I was like, shit, I didn't mean to, <laughs> drag her into this 
And by the time I had messaged you, you and he had already had a private conversation about it. Why take the time to have that private conversation? For me, friends are really important. Um, Mm. For me, my friends are like part of my family. And when everything first kind of started for me, like my anger just kind of exploded. And I think I was just exploding on people without really listening to them as well. I wanted them to listen to me, but I was not willing to really listen to them. Um, And reading his post just made me furious. Um, And even when I responded, it just seemed like he wasn't willing to listen to me or consider other people's views on things. So, and, and I care. I don't, I don't know why <laughs> I care about like certain individuals so much, but I, I felt like I needed to at least try to have him understand my view on the issue and maybe have him see it from a different view. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it worked out because we talked and I really got to learn a little bit more about him and like his experience and why he said the things he did say and how maybe his words are being misconstrued and how he could have said things a little different. Um, and that was a really good conversation for me because I'm realizing that like I shouldn't just assume things right off the bat. Like maybe the way they're saying things isn't what how they actually feel. Um, I have to at least try to have them become a little bit more vulnerable and, and explain themselves and, and where they're actually coming from. Yeah. Um, so that, that was a really good conversation I had. Yeah. We, we don't have to name names if, if, if the answer to this is yes, but have you had the opposite of that situation? Yes. <laughs> yeah. A lot. And it's hard because I'm so sensitive. I'm, and I'm learning that like, if I'm willing to speak my mind so boldly, I have to expect there's going to be people on the opposite end doing the same thing as well. And mm-hmm. I can't, I, I have to not try to take it too personally but but I do I really do um and I think what hurts most is it's coming from people who I thought were friends of mine right and I think that's what hurts the most um because if to me if you're a friend you should at least try to understand where your friend is coming from and try to learn who they are and why they are feeling this way instead of just attacking them. And I've just been, I've felt attacked. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I guess also I've kind of been doing the same as well because I'm just so freaking angry. You can say fucking. I'm so fucking angry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really, I say it all the time. I'm so, so angry. Um, <laughs> and yeah, like I said, I'm at this point where I've, I've been able to hold things in. And I think now I'm just at the point of explosion. Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, you don't need my validation at all, but it's 100% justified that that you would be allowed to just say, shut the fuck up and listen for once, mm-hmm. you know, because white people have been saying the same thing for a long time. Exclusively. Yeah, completely exclusively. Just, we're right, shut up, listen to our laws, our our everything, you know, we, uh, Annalisa and I listened to a podcast the other day that, uh, they talked about the root of the word privilege and privilege comes from 
the Latin words for private and law. So it's essentially laws made for a specific person, for one private person. And, and that's what the privilege is. It's not that, oh, we get everything handed to us. It's the, the laws of this fucking country, the systems that uphold this country were created for us, you know, for white people. And I mean, I, that as far as I'm concerned, as far as anybody I want to call a friend is concerned, that's, you're a hundred percent justified in saying, just shut the fuck up with your privilege for a minute and listen. Yeah. Oh, it's been hard. It's been really hard. I go through these ways of feeling like super empowered and strong and being able to like speak my mind. And then I just want to like hermit and hide Yeah. <laughs> for like a couple of days. It's really, it's well, getting tiring. that recharging times a good thing. Yeah, no, it is for sure. You know, I, appre- I, I appreciate the people out there who are loud and speaking up all the time. Um, I don't know how they do it. You know, it's, it's, it's very emotionally draining. It's so draining. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how they do it. I commend them. Because it's not like a lot of people have been just doing it now. It's been going on for a really long time, especially in the climbing community. I've had so many friends who've been, you know, bringing up these issues for years. And I feel like just now people are really starting to listen. Um, But I, I need, I want everybody to know that like, you know, they've been putting a lot of time and effort and work into this for years Mm -hmm. and years. (laughs) Um, So I, I just don't know how they do it. I don't know. Well, you said something the other day in an Instagram post um, about root names. We're we're sitting here in 10 sleep right now, which is a, it's a tiny white town in the middle of nowhere. B it's in the middle of a state that has no hate crime laws. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's a a crag in 10 sleep called slavery wall. Mm -hmm. And you pointed that out. And and this conversation has happened a little bit around like sexist root names in the past. And I always hear this, but that's like, that's the history. Like we can't lose the history, you know? And, and I'm, like I said earlier, I'm a sports history fan, especially climbing history. I love it. But I don't, I don't understand why those names are part of the history. I I can't really grasp that. What what is your reaction? How does it feel to you? And Scott, maybe I'd like to hear from you on this as well. I'm sure you you had maybe different reactions to it, you know? When you see that in the guidebook or when you walk up to that wall or or you see a photo of a root called happiness and slavery, which I know is named after a Jane's Addiction song, but that doesn't make it okay. Especially because it's at Slavery Wall. Right. They could have named it Happiness Wall if they were naming it after the song. It makes no sense to me. And to me, it's just a bunch of excuses. Like, cool, I'm glad that it was named after a song, but 
if you named a route that had the N-word in it and it was named after a song, does that make that okay? Right. Like, that's what I keep telling people. Um, I just think it's a bunch of crap. Um, apparently, like, they have changed the names of the wall mm. and some of the roots. Yeah, I saw but that Louis was, post recently. But for me, like, I don't know. I mean, people are kind of hate me for saying this, but I think it's fake. Like, it just happened, what, a couple of weeks ago? Yeah. And people have brought this up many, many years. Last year, a couple of years before that. Like, they had the opportunity to change it before they came out with their books. Like, that would have been a great opportunity yep. for both of them to make that change in their own guidebook. Like, I don't know why they decided to wait until now. I mean, I guess I, I kind of understand with everything going on, but don't come to me and make me and tell me that, you know, this is, we've been considering these, ch considering these changes right. for, for a while now. Like how hard is it to change a name? Apparently Mountain Project did it within a day. So like, how hard is it for you to just change the name? You were one of the developers, like just change the name. You were, you made the guidebook. Just change the name. It's not that hard. It's not a long process in my mind. No, and it's, like I said, people want to tie this, like, that's our, that's the history. That's, you know, there's some sort of weird ownership, history? you know. But, what? like, again, I'm a, a sports history fan, and growing up in Cincinnati, I was a huge fan of the Cincinnati Reds. They played in Riverfront Stadium, and then it became Synergy Field, and... Nothing changed. Like, the Reds still have the same history. And I think people need to understand that, like, things that were appropriate 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago is not appropriate now. As a white guy, you can't just walk up to a black guy and call him the N-word and have it right. be okay. Like, right. you, like, yeah, things are changing. And you have to get with the times. Yeah. And whole, I mean, whole countries, whole nations can change their name when they gain independence. So why can't, what's the problem with changing the name of a wall, the name of a route? Especially all, if, all the root names, you know, yeah, why and does especially it if it's helping, like the community as a whole. If it's making people feel more comfortable, and I think that's what it should be about. Like yeah. the outdoors doesn't discriminate; it's the people in the outdoors that does a discrimination. Yeah. Um. So, and if you want this to be an inclusive place for everybody, then like make people feel comfortable. Like, I my first time here was two years ago, and that was the time I went up to Slavery Wall, and I felt super uncomfortable. But I was with a, a group of my like white climbing friends, and you know they were psyched to go to that wall. So I went along and just kept my mouth shut. Um, we were here again. I was here again last year and didn't climb there, um, and I like totally just forgot about it completely. And then we came. I came back a couple of weeks ago here and I was with a group of friends and they were talking about how they climbed there. And I was like, holy crap, like I totally forgot that was even a mm. thing here. Like that's so not okay. And I just got livid. Yeah. Like I just could not, I just couldn't let it, couldn't let it go. Um, and that's why I decided to make that post. When you, yeah, I didn't even think about that, just the conversations we have. Oh, like, where'd you go climbing today? Oh, I went to, like that's going to be said in conversation yeah over and over and over again like no big deal but it is a big deal and it's not even like it's just here like i'm just trying to make it known that like this is happening like not even just in climbing like there's hiking trails with right. really bad it gets it's across the board yeah. and i think there needs to be a change um yeah. and even like scott and i had a conversation like last year when we were driving about what was it there was like the uh, sign about the Negro League. Negro League uh, Museum. Yeah. In and, Kansas City. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I just made a comment like, 
wow, I'm surprised that they still have that that name. And Scott was yeah. like, oh, but you know, like that's what it was called like back in the day. And like, we would just have this like conversation and they called themselves. and um, I don't know. For me, I always just grew up to like never use that word. It was always such a bad word, no matter if you're using it like in a friendly conversation with a friend right. or you're right. re-singing, like singing a song. Um, we just never, that word, I would get slapped if I ever use yeah. that word in my house <laughs> i think I could, I could say pissed and probably fuck but i could not say that word um <laughs> so it's just always been really hard for me when i see others using that word even if it isn't like in a historical context yeah um so yeah and like after my post i've had friends contact me about oh you know like this is like the pc version of this trailhead and it was like Oh, the Negro, Bill. Negro Bill, and I was like, "What's the what's the non PC version?" You know, like, yeah, uh, it's just. I well, think- I think that you know what you just said, Scott, is a is an argument I hear a lot in these kind of conversations. The well, that's what they called themselves, and they were in the midst of this huge system that's turning against them. You know. And, and trying its best to keep them a, a, as a lower class person, essentially. And so, of course, that's what they call themselves. You know, it's what they're made to believe. It's what they're what they're handed and essentially forced to do. So, it just because that's what someone called themselves or that's how they're referred to historically you're right totally doesn't make it okay mm-hmm. it's 2020 like things need to change yeah and and i'm a big i'm a big believer in words you know i put a the power of words i, I put a lot of words out every month and i have for years whether it was as a rapper as a an MC at events as a podcast host a blogger whatever i believe in the power of words but I also believe in the idea that ultimately the words are up to the person receiving the words. And you can put as much care as you want based on your beliefs into the words, and they're going to be construed in a different way by every single person who hears them. And if you're not responsive to your audience, to the people hearing the words, then do you really care what, what the power of your words are? You know, so, so hearing that, like you, you made the mistake that something you said was offensive. So apologize, change it, move on, change the way you talk, change the words you use, I think is the way to go. Yeah. I mean, it also comes from them just caring, like they have to care enough to do that. Yeah. And that's what I've been telling people too, is like, great, I'm glad they changed the names, but was it from a place of like genuinity in a way? Like, were they genuine about it or were they right. just doing it because everybody else wanting them to, wanted them to do that? Um, and I appreciate them doing that because so many people brought it up as an issue, but I hope that they can also look within themselves yeah. and see why it's a problem. Yeah. And that's what I really want there to be is make more conversation about that. Yeah, it's very hard to discern the performative from the real real decision to make a change in yourself. You know, it's 
especially right now and everything's so so loud it's it's really hard to tell what's what and who's who yeah it it really is um and I don't know. I think for me, when I when I talk to people who you know are part of different brands or organizations, I try to ask them like, "What were you doing before all of this, before mm-hmm. this year?" You know. And I understand that sometimes you need something bigger to, a catalyst. yeah, a catalyst in a way yeah. to open your mind and your eyes to see that you you need to make change. But also, like, I just kind of want to know, like, what else? What have you been doing? You know, because that's really important to me. Yeah. So right yeah, now I just feel like there's a lot of there's a lot of comments and words and to me like a lot of fakeness going on right now and I want people to just be more genuine and to really understand why certain things hurt other people. So I want everybody to care about each other. Like I feel like if I came up to somebody to a friend and said that something bothered me, I would hope they would at least want to know like why and consider my views on it. Um, and not just kind of turn the other cheek. Yeah, and I think that, you know, that word care is is an interesting word in that, you know, like like we started this conversation, the word good on my sweatshirt to my friend meant be nice. And I I see the word care in a similar way where care doesn't mean I have to be gentle with you and I have to be nice to you. It means... I, if you're going wrong, I need to set you right or do my best to. And I hope that you do the same for me and call me out when I do something stupid, you know? So so I agree with you. And I also want to make sure the people listening aren't like, oh, she's just telling us to be nice, you know, because I don't think that's what care means necessarily. No, and I... a lot of nice fucking racists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there are. And, like, passive racism is, like, a big thing. Right. Like, I have a lot of friends that. who are, like, who are super nice and really care, but sometimes just don't understand that some of their actions and words are really hurtful. Sure. And me bringing that up to them and then, like, responding in a, in a good way and be like, oh, wow, you know what? What You're right. I had no idea. Like, that's, that's what I want to see more of. What was the conversation like when your friends are talking about slavery wall and it hits you that you had just blocked this out of your mind and then you're like oh shit there's a wall here called slavery wall yeah so my like first year here I just I just didn't say anything I just like kept to myself um I just didn't feel comfortable I didn't feel like I didn't have anybody on my side right um but like this year I like started to like speak my my truth and luckily like my friends have been really responsive my best friend has been has been great you know she would try to not disagree and not argue but you know have like a back and forth conversation about it which is fine because then she would really still like listen to me and and mm. say like you know what maybe maybe you are right like I don't see how that could hurt somebody but if it hurts you that's that's all I need to hear. If it hurts you, it hurts me. Mm. And I think that was like a really big turning point on this trip um, was people just being like, yeah, you know what? I might not see it right now, but I see that it's hurting you. And yeah. that's enough for me. Yeah. And I think that's that's how we determine who our friends actually are. You know, it's it's really easy 
again, back to the words thing, I, you know, if I really think about the word friend, it, it has a lot of meaning to me. I'll throw it out there in casual conversation, but if I really have to say, these are my friends, there's going to be a very certain specific set of criteria involved, you know? Yeah. And you came into climbing thinking it might be different. You're making this whole new set of friends. And in, in every situation, the friends we make initially are very surface level friends, you know, and it's not until something like this happens that you really get to see, okay, which, which of the people here are actually my friend and who isn't. Yeah. And like going back to the whole words thing, you know, if, if people don't know what they're saying is hurtful, they're just going to keep saying it. Um, and I think like with my experience, you know, I never said anything. I never told them, Hey, like maybe you shouldn't say that or Hey, that's a little inappropriate. So they would just keep going on and, and continuing to say these things. Um, so I feel like it's just like, this is like a big turning point where people are going to speak out more and maybe people are going to realize like maybe people are, have really good intentions they just don't realize that their actions and words don't coincide with that um so hopefully us call me calling people out maybe not calling them out because that sounds very aggressive but it it does but i (laughs) again i think it's a necessary thing you know i've done things where i fucking needed to be called out you know and those people who called me out at the time it might sting but you know, later I'm going to have to to thank them mm-hmm. for doing it. Um, Annalisa and I had a conversation on the way here about love language and how we can, you know, people have, each person has their own like love language that they communicate to their, their people in. But that love language doesn't really mean anything unless it's received by the person who's getting it as love. And, and we don't, No, we have no idea unless we communicate, unless the receiver communicates with the person giving, you know. So what you just said that I had to speak up for them to understand it. I I hope that's what's going on now, that more people are speaking up and more people are understanding. Yeah. And it's been nice because I've definitely had a lot of people reach out and be like, hey, like I never even like thought about this or had any idea. And you've made me kind of open my eyes to what's going on. And I really appreciate that. And like to me, like that's that's what I need and that's what I want. You know, I want people who didn't realize that like things are hurtful to to see that I'm fucking hurt. (laughs) And I've been hurting for a while. I. I had an experience yesterday or two days ago. I don't, days blur together (laughs) for me. Um, But where I, someone sent me a video clip of some really, really overt racism in the climbing community. Um, And I've talked to this person's sponsors and, and trying to figure out a way forward that's a learning opportunity for everybody involved. What I'm curious about, and I would love for you to say no, but I don't think that's the case, is have you, and and do you care to talk about any overt racism that you've experienced? Like, not just 
this ignorance was really hurtful, but something really overtly directed at you in the climbing community. And I ask this because there are a lot of people who still don't believe it happens. And, and I think my very white, very privileged audience probably needs to hear some of these stories firsthand. Yeah. Well, I don't know if this would be considered like overt, but for me, a really big problem that I've had was when I would go on like climbing trips with friends, we'd go away for like three day weekends and things like that. And, um, spending nights with friends like that can be very vulnerable, you know, like mm. compared to just having like a day trip some, with somebody and then going back to your home. That's like your safe space. So now yeah. my safe space is this tent in this place. That's not that I'm not used to with people who I hang out with and are friends, but I'm not like super comfortable with. Um, so it's just been a lot of like my night routines and like my morning routines. And again, going back to like wearing my headscarf, people would make mm. comments like, why do you need to wear that? You know, and, and things like that. And um, <laughs> it's been really hard because at first I thought it was okay for me to do my routine and doing things like that. And then I got to this point where I would just, just straighten my hair just for like these little like three days trips. And then mm. people wouldn't like say things to me. Um, and just kind of not point at, at it. Um, being in New Hampshire was weird. I never really realized uh, how much I loved the diversity in New York. Not yeah. even New York City, because I was born like two hours north of the city. Mm -hmm. um, but going from New York to New Hampshire was like shocking because <laughs> I don't know why, but one person was like, oh, well, they didn't say, oh, you're black, but like, oh, do you know so-and-so who lives like oh, four right. hours north? Like, and then mentioned like, <laughs> hey, he plays basketball. And I'm like, oh, I didn't man. even, I don't even play basketball. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and um, I remember his, like, he walked away and his wife was just like, I'm so sorry that that happened. And I was just like, I didn't know what to say to that. And it was like, my first week, like in New Hampshire too, <laughs> which was kind of shocking. And I was like, welcome to New Hampshire. This is great. Wow. You know? no, no offense, people from New Hampshire, but New Hampshire sounds really white. Just like, the word sounds really white. It I was, don't know why. It was insane. It was, um, so that was like something that happened. Yeah. In the community. That was a little shocking. Um, I'd say the things that you experience that are not like overt racism, but are just people expecting you to be a beginner people yeah sure not yeah be able to climb and they're so surprised when you're strong just the idea already built in that black people don't climb yes and like i've okay yeah i climb strong i've worked really hard to get to this point and it was really annoying when like i lived i lived in remney new hampshire for a mm -hmm. while and the community there is really small and they were all they're all great like i love the people there um but it was really annoying to be labeled as like the black girl that climbs like hey i have a name my name's genevieve um you can right. use my name like yeah i understand that when you're describing somebody that like saying that they're black in a place that where there's only one black person might make it really easy to pare down but like come on <laughs> yeah you know um so yeah that was that was really freaking annoying and yeah a lot of times like scott is my number one climbing partner we climb all the time and Happens all the time, especially in, in areas where um, there's not a lot of like moderate climbs. Everything's like pretty hard and everybody's projecting. 
I don't know why people just assume that I'm just like his girlfriend here to like belay him. Right, right. You know, because like stronger than I am. He, yeah, and that's why like I was always so adamant to always be the one to like put up draws or go first to like make people know like, hey, I'm here to climb as well, and I climb just as strong as you do. But I feel like there's a lot of times when we'll be climbing together, and he'll go first and be like on the wall, and I'm belaying, and he'll get to the top, and someone else, and this happened. This happened at rifle, and I was pissed. The guy just comes up, drops his rope, didn't even ask. Ask me like if I was gonna go up next. Nothing. Didn't even like right. look at me. Put your shoes on. Ties in. And I was like, Oh hell no! I know what's about to happen. And I'm not even gonna like give him the time of day to be like, Hey, I am also gonna get on this. No, I was. I let Scott come down, <laughs> get to the ground, untie, pull a rope, and right when the guy was about to get on, I was like, Oh hey, I'm climbing this too. Like, sorry, but not sorry. Yeah. You know, like, and that happens all the time. And at first, like, I would get really mad at Scott because I'd be like, dude, like, you're supposed to have my back with all this. Like, but at the same time, I don't, I don't know. I can't expect you to fight all my battles either. Also don't necessarily see it. He, he doesn't see it either. And I yeah. have to realize that. I expect him to see everything that I see. And I'm learning mm. that that's not the case. But he is so open to when I just flip out and I'm like, dude, like, this is what's going on. Um, which has been really nice. But yeah, that happens to me a lot. A lot. And yeah, I used to say something and now I just let them gear up and then cry about it afterwards. Yeah, the good. Other day, you described it as nice, but I I saw the woman's comments as the same thing. Or, uh, she was so surprised that you were climbing strong. Yeah. And you were like, oh, she was super nice. But I was like, she went into it completely expecting you to this like suck like not on the 10 <laughs> and then she when you jumped on the 12 as your second climb she was just blown away like, oh my god you're so strong i was like yeah i am strong like this like, is what's... a 12a this is nowhere close to your limit like <laughs> yeah i don't i i don't understand that <laughs> concept um you have to have been hiding under a rock and not paying attention at all if you walk up to a crag and think that you can just guess what someone climbs <laughs> by looking at them. Yeah. I mean, I've gotten burned off by 12-year-olds more times than I care to count. So, And in the red, you you will have like a 50-year-old a guy with a huge beer gut that flashes your project. Are you saying I have a beer gut? <laughs> 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 it's mad yeah totally <laughs> totally but yeah it's just annoying and it's like intimidating for me as a female and as like a biracial climber who like goes to these cracks a lot of times like i don't even want to project sometimes like i just yeah. don't I, I just don't feel accepted maybe not accepted is the right word but i just don't feel comfortable sure You're, um, you feel like you're being judged it's been really hard and I think for a while like I ha I wasn't climbing at my limit and I think like over the last year like I remember even like my first 13 that I sent um the first day I was there and I saw a bunch of people climbing it it was just you know like a bunch of dudes I didn't feel comfortable getting on it right you know I saw them like flailing around and I was like I I don't even want to like 
be part of that. Um, so I didn't even try it that day. I went back the next day when like nobody was there and gave it a shot. And I was like, this is super doable. Like I, I need to stop comparing myself to other people too. Like I think that's what I do a lot of the times. Yeah. I think um, that's a really common climber mistake. <laughs> um, but you know, the fact that I'm sitting here and I'm like, I can't understand how people would judge just based on the way you look makes it even seem a little more insidious that I'm fairly sure you can't walk up to a crag anymore and look at a woman and say, Oh, you must be new to climbing. You know, there are, there are a huge population of women who are going to out climb 99% of dudes every single day. Mm -hmm. So in that respect, it does come down to race that yes to sex to a degree but i think that's been equalized in a lot of people's minds anyway you know because there's so many strong women out there yeah some people's not not everyone for sure but and i think it's like i feel like people don't see enough black people out there who are crushing like there's right. so many crushers that people have no idea about and um i think for me like for me the big turning point was when i went to color the crag last year mm. um being surrounded by like 300 just like beautiful beautiful people and there were so many people crushing and i was like where have you been because my experience as a black person who climbs like if i ever saw like one other black person at the crack like we would do the eye stare i would like stare at you and make sure you you see me because i'm still too nervous to just go up and be like hey like there's another black person that climbs like this is insane um so it was really nice to just have that experience and and see so many crushers because i've yeah. even talked to people lately um who were like you know i I just don't think there's like a lot of people out there. And I'm like, no, there is a shit ton of people out there. A lot of a shit ton of black people out there who are climbing super hard, but they're just not being represented and people right. don't just don't think that it's a thing. And this is a conversation we had just recently. Um, most of the black people that, you know, Boulder. There's a lot. And that's what I've, that's what I've seen that there's not, mostly black and brown people on ropes and i don't i don't know if it's just because bouldering is more accessible there's less equipment it's because it's more fun <laughs> mm. yeah this is also coming from a guy who hates bouldering so <laughs> um but i mean color crack was also at a bouldering area yeah for sure but i mean but it, they, and they I were talking about that like the i don't i don't know why there's not more diversity in sport climbing uh, that I feel like it has started and that it kind of has started. If you're climbing in New York City, if you're climbing in, in more urban areas, I think that there are a lot of lot more brown people climbing, but still less of them are, are sport climbing. Maybe, but there's also still a lot of people who are sport climbing and a lot of trad climbers and ice climbers as well. But again, you just don't see it. And that's that's the problem is I don't want you to just think that like, oh, all a lot of most black people and brown people are just like bouldering. Like, no, there's a lot of crushers out there on ropes, placing gear, like hitting those ice axes. Yeah, I, mean, I think that it. goes back to, you know, we all know our own experience and 
I mean, I climb mostly, mostly in Wyoming when I'm traveling, it's usually for work, some sort of seminar, podcasting, whatever. Or if we travel, we stay in one location for a long time. So it's not like I'm at every crag all the time. How in the hell do I know who else is out there climbing, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So just say, you know, basing my opinion of the entire climbing community on my little tiny experience is crazy, you know? Yeah, I just want there to be more recognition because there's a lot of people out there crushing so hard that aren't being recognized, and I think they deserve it. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to see more diversity. I I want it to be that it's not that you know the black climber, that like it's just a normal thing that this campground that we're at right now. There's, I think you're the only black person yeah, here. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, and it's like, like normal for me. Wow. <laughs> like yeah my friend my friend Devin Dabney the other day posted on Instagram that he he came to this realization that when he goes to the crag when he goes climbing it's always with a white person that he's never been in a group where it's just black people and when he when he thought about just going climbing solo like just rolling up to the boulders or to the crag by himself there's an element of fear. Like, I, that's not okay for me, you know? And that's kind of a powerful thing for me to think about because there is, there's never a situation where I feel uncomfortable just rolling up to the crag by myself. Um, and maybe, you know, that's, that's a part of this, why there's not as much diversity yet, hopefully. Um, because that situation does still exist, that mm-hmm. it's scary to go. Yeah, I mean, I've even, I don't know if I've mentioned this to Scott, but it's something I was even like thinking about the other night was um, just how comfortable you are being yourself and how comfortable you are um, not always smiling at everybody and you know Mm. trying to make everybody like you like if you're not in a good mood you let that be known on your face and I feel like for me it's always been the opposite and didn't think about this until the other day I'm like wow I'm I always have a smile on my face no matter what I always try to be I always try to look happy I always want people to accept me and I think that's just another thing going back to privilege I never thought really about before like you didn't really have to worry about that yeah, I think there are lots of little parts of it that that we have to dig really deep to find, you know, and ideally that's what a lot of climbers, people in general, but you know, I'm I'm speaking directly to the climbing community that I hope that's what's happening is that we're all taking this deeper look and trying to find those little pieces of privilege that we have and thinking about how we can create a more equal place so that so that people aren't scared to roll up to the crag by themselves that that there is representation at the crag in the media um and and that's the surface level right the it's the bigger systems at play that really need handled yeah, and I think for me what I'm realizing is I always thought climbing was its own little bubble. Yeah. But I'm, 
(laughs) (laughs) I mean, we're not just climbers. Like we're wives and husbands and parents and like we have other lives besides just climbing. And I'm realizing even outside the, the climbing community, I've just had so many racist experiences. And I'm like, that's not separate from the climbing community. Some of these people are also climbers, yeah. you know? So what makes, what there's no, there's no difference. Climbing isn't as progressive as we think. Yeah. Um, so it's just, I think in the beginning when I started speaking my mind, I was really surprised when like climbing friends would say something and I'm like, you're a climber. Like you should just know better. And it's like, wait, but you know, you also have another life and maybe mm. your values are reflective of that and not of as a climber, if that makes sense. And even in your daily, your daily tasks, you know, to get here, you had to drive through all white Wyoming and (sighs) stop in towns and get gas and go into stores. And we had a really bad experience at the gas station on the way here. Remember the guy that was like blasting rap music with the N word, like as he pulled in and saw us. Yeah, I didn't, I mean, you said the same thing. You didn't even notice I didn't even notice at first. um, Um, A guy came up to us and apologized. mm -hmm. Um, Mm. He said that the biker saw her and, like, wasn't playing any music and then, like, cranked it all the way up. Mm. Yeah. And and I didn't notice at first because I was, like, in the middle of doing things. But this, like, yeah, this stranger came up and apologized. And he's like, I don't want you to think, like, everybody in Wyoming is like this. Like, Mm. we're not all like this. And it was was really, really sweet to to have somebody do that. Yeah, I mean, good for him for doing it. But it's a shame we have to. Yeah. You know, we we had a protest in Lander. Or we didn't. We went to a protest uh, organized by some other people. And, and... Yeah. Yeah. A black friend and, and indigenous friends and, and white people showed up with guns and sledgehammers and, and stood across the street, like trying to be menacing. And they're people that like you recognize you went to school with, you know, and, and it's just amazing that that exists right under your noses even if you think it doesn't even Mm -hmm. if you know there are tons of people in lander thinking we're not a racist town you know Mm -hmm. but then you see this and and in the course of it businesses aren't willing to speak out you know they're standing out on the street in front of people's businesses i you know if i'm the business owner i'm out there trying to move them ideally um so it's just it's it's under our under our noses, right in front of our faces, no I feel matter like what. People are really quick to say that they're anti-racist, but not willing to actually like step up and stand up and right. and say something or do something. I don't think people say they're anti-racist. Well, I think more often think they that are. They are not racist. That they're yeah. not anti-racist. Yeah, but Genevieve and Chris, you guys both thought of something that I think I'm thinking a lot about. Um, you know, you climbed. You called climbers or the climbing community not a bubble, and we are a part of the greater community. And you, Chris, have been super disheartened by the fact that moving to Lander specifically felt like this amazing community where you felt at home, where people cared about each other. Mm -hmm. And even within the climbing community, I feel like so many climbers 
find the climbing community and we call it a flipping community because it feels like this place where people are educated and caring and motivated and all of these we talk about it as these beautiful things and i wonder if when we find that community the climbing community we then just become lazy and ignorant to the really important things that are happening around us. We think, oh, we found this wonderful community. We're good now. Mm-hmm. We're fine. We're good people. We do good things. We recreate in the outdoors. You know, we care about each other. But t- truly, sometimes we're not doing that. We aren't caring about each other. We're letting shit happen that's not okay for members of our community because we're just like lazy and ignorant to it. And we think, oh, we found this magical little community. We're good now, we're good. And we're just horribly lazy, horribly ignorant um, and complacent in the racism, overt and not overt racism that's happening within our community. Yeah, because I've never had like someone close to my circle ever be like outright racist to me but I've had friends whose parents were very racist Mm, and even though my friends would say you know like we're different I don't know how my parents raised me like that like raised me to be this good person I'm like there were still things I'd see in them sure that were their parents and that was really hard yeah um so that was something that I always had to deal with especially like I even dated a guy who said who said he loved me and all these great things, but his parents were not happy with the fact that he was with me at all. Right. Um, and they just never accepted me. And when it was weird going to their house, cause you just, it just never felt comfortable for me. And, and I think what bothered me was that he didn't see how uncomfortable I was or listen to me when I would tell him how uncomfortable I was, you know? Right. So that was always another thing too. It's like, yeah, maybe directly, this, this community, I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say. I just feel like everyone's connected in a way. Yeah, and I think every community way. wants to think they're, they're better, that they've, they've got it figured out. And ultimately, we're all part of this greater world, and we all have flaws, you know, probably lots of them. And hopefully we're all continuing to learn and make those things better you know and i think it takes this sort of a this sort of a movement whether it's somebody who talks to you gently and that's how you need to be talked to or somebody who screams in your face and that wakes you up you know whichever it is you need i hope that people are getting that and um you know i mentioned that we had this conversation about love language and that that it doesn't mean anything if the receiver doesn't understand it as love. And to get that, the receiver has to tell the people what it is they need. And I'm not going to ask you to speak for all black people by any means, but, but for you personally, what do you need? What do you want from this community to feel loved? I want people to be willing to listen, like really listen and to really open their minds, even if their experiences aren't similar to mine. Um, 
if I'm telling you something bothers me, I want you to really want to know why and to know why I need you to make a change. Um, I want there to be more representation and more recognition um, for other for for black and brown people in this community. You know, there's a lot of really strong crushers. There's a lot of like awesome photographers and I don't know, people in the media and all these other things. And I just feel like people are getting put on the back burner and saying that they don't have the credentials or whatever when they're way more qualified than a lot of their white counterparts. Mm -hmm. Um, I, as somebody who's like trying to become more of an athlete, like I don't want brands to just come up to me and say like, Hey, we're trying to just diversify our ambassadorship or athlete program. Like we want you. It's like, well, what else are you doing? Like, I want to see more like within your company not just on the exterior. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Like I want to see people really caring to make a change. I want I want there to be an actual change. Not on the surface. I don't want a surface change. I want it from within. Um, yeah. I think everybody just has to really like be opening to open to listen to yeah. us. Well, I appreciate you being open to talking, to telling you know, to teaching. Um, in one of the messages you sent to me, um, when the mutual friend that we talked about, mm-hmm. you said maybe he just needs to hear it in a different way and maybe your way of telling him is better because you make your living teaching people. I don't think that makes me any better a teacher and I think you handled it better than I would have and I think your method of teaching speaks to a lot of people so I'm, I'm glad you're doing it thank you yeah I guess what I was just trying to say with that was um, I'm realizing that not everyone's going to listen to me yeah um, so, or me or you know <laughs> yeah. people choose who and how they want to listen exactly so. there's so many different avenues to yeah. teach um, and I'm just, I'm just one. Yeah. Well, thanks for doing it. And thanks for sitting down with me. Yeah. I appreciate it a ton. Of course. Anytime. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. You know, pretty much every single time I have one of these conversations, um, I, I try to allow it to come to its logical conclusion. And then inevitably I turn off the mics and we continue talking and something amazing comes up in that conversation as well um when when i turned these mics off and we continued our conversation a little bit um, because we were at 10 sleep uh, louis anderson came over to say hello and to ask us what we thought about his recent changing um of the root names and the crag name intense sleep that we're referencing in this episode and and it sparked a really interesting really good conversation and scott during this conversation made a great point of we have to be very careful to make sure that we're not just policing things that are vulgar versus things that are offensive um offensive for good reason Um, you can be offended all sorts of ways i might be offended by the color purple you know i'm not but 
just as an example, I could be. Someone could be offended just because they're looking for that. And I don't think it's okay to censor voices um, unless we know that there's that there's harm being done by that thing. Um, it's a it's such a, a balancing act of trying to understand intentions and unintended consequences. Um, but ultimately, I think we as a community need to be much better about policing ourselves, about speaking up, especially when we know that that other climbers, that other people are being hurt by our actions. Um, so hopefully you're having that same conversation amongst yourselves. And hopefully this sparked even more of that conversation between you, your climbing partners, your friends, your family. Genevieve and Scott, thank you both so much for sitting down and being open to having this conversation. Congrats to you two on your engagement. Genevieve, happy birthday. You're just getting better with age. For all of you listening, you can find links to both Genevieve and Scott's Instagrams right there in the show notes in your pocket supercomputers. So go check them out. And also, while you're there on the Instagram, be on the lookout for our new shirt design that's coming that will be 100% a fundraiser for various black-led outdoor organizations. We're starting with Soul Track Outdoors, and the design of the shirt is our Fight the Power design created by my daughter, um, and I'm very excited to get those out and to help raise more money for the Black Lives Matter movement, especially here in the outdoor industry. So, Check those out at Power Company Climbing on Instagram. You can also find us on the Facebooks. You can find us on the Pinterest. I think that's still out there. We are at powercompanyclimbing.com. And you can look for us all over the Twitters. But you're not going to find us because we don't tweet. We scream like eagles. I love bread and gluten. It's so bad. <sighs> is that a weakness, though? Or is it like I'm super strong because I know what's going to happen to me and I still do it anyway? That's a good point. <laughs>
I, I feel like it's a weakness of the mind. <laughs> <laughs> it's weak until I do it, and then once I do it, I'm like, well, when I have stomach aches, let me just eat all the bread right yeah. now. And that's what exactly. I do. I've already gone yeah. there. I'm yeah. So I'm like, if I'm having one beer, I'm just gonna drink a six pack, so I don't have to worry about it for like a couple weeks. <laughs> yeah. I'm that way with ice cream. I like that. I'm, oh. I just recently discovered that ice cream makes my stomach hurt pretty bad. But I'm an ice cream junkie, so I'm just like, nah, I'm gonna eat it anyway. <laughs> I don't really care, you know. Is it the ice cream or the dairy? You think? <sighs> I think it's probably the dairy. Yeah. yeah. I have switched milks, but. I still just like ice cream. Yeah. yeah, it's so hard to give up ice cream. So, I'm, yeah. I was very badly lactose intolerant for 10 years. Mm. And then I lived in Mumbai for a year and a half, and I came back and discovered that I was no longer lactose Really? Which to me just I means I think my gut biome got reset. Yeah. Um, but it came back. But it's, it's back. slowly <laughs> coming back. Mm. No, it's back. I... I can eat. I, I feel like if he I doesn't want to admit it, he does I think not. this is a mental weakness. <laughs> <laughs> the bubble cream. guts say otherwise. The, the, I can't drink a glass of milk. That one's straight up. But mm. milk is gross anyway. Uh, ice cream, cheese. I don't think that ice cream yogurt does it. The yogurt cottage cheese. Doing it, yogurt and cottage cheese started doing it really bad, oh. which surprised yeah. me because those are supposed to be like really good yeah. gut yeah. foods. But I've also never mm. met somebody who's like obsessed with cottage cheese. Mm. The way he is. Yeah, that's kind of weird, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Do you eat it with pepper? Uh, My favorite is taking um, corn chips, the little uh, Dorito things, the the Fritos. Fritos. Yeah, I just like take a handful of Fritos. Oh, interesting. It's so good. He's like a 10 year old. Yeah. (laughs) That's weird, man. (laughs) My grandma ate it with pepper, and I always just thought that was weird. Yeah, the one black that I pepper. always thought was super weird until I tried it was peaches. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've heard of that. But see, that sounds good. It like fruit. Weird. If it's like lots of peaches and a dollop no, of it's, cottage it's cheese, like that cottage sounds cheese. good. I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. it's so weird. I think it's a texture thing for me. I can't do it. The larger the curd, the better. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's so gross. <laughs> oh god, this is who I'm marrying. 